Luke 7, 1-17. Let me read it and then we will pray. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for these two remarkable stories from the life of Jesus. And we pray that you would help us um, to, uh, to see these stories the way you would have us to see them, and to think um, the way you would have us to think by your Spirit, that you would grow us in your grace, um, that you would do a great work in our hearts this morning. We are trusting you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, my wife and I, we, uh, we look at things differently, very, very, very differently. And a lot of that is just because of the way, um, just the kind, of, the, the kind of kids we were, so when we're when we're dealing with our children, um, we we often have very different responses uh, to what our children uh, do. Like the this week, my kids, a couple of my kids, um, they uh, well not just this week. Oftentimes, my kids will make they bake cookies. They go in the kitchen and they bake they bake cookies, and they do pretty much all of it by themselves. And and the cookies taste really good, and it's, it's great. And and whenever I you know, I, they, they say, yep, we, we, we bake the cookies and we, we cleaned up our mess in the kitchen and all of that. And, and I'm always amazed that, I mean, when I was in high school or junior high, I knew how to eat cookies, but I didn't know how to, like, I didn't know how to bake, bake cookies. Um, and, and so I'm always amazed that they baked the cookies and that they, they, they made a, an honest, honest attempt at cleaning up the kitchen and, and it looks, you know, okay. Um, 
I'm always amazed at how good they did. My, my wife comes in, and she's like, you, wait, you cleaned up? This, I mean, I don't think anybody cleaned anything in here. Um, they, they, you know, when she looks at it, she sees all this stuff that they forgot to put away, the stuff they forgot to clean, you know, and, uh, and I'm like, I'm amazed that, you know, because I'm thinking of myself when I was their age, and I'm like, well, that's, this is awesome. And she's thinking about herself when she was their age, and she was like, she was like born grown up. You know, some people just are born, like she was like the nursery coordinator at her church when she was like 18 months old. She just kind of like, I'll just do it, people, don't worry about it. You know, that's just, she's just kind of a, so she looks at things differently than I do. She's amazed at all the stuff they missed. I'm amazed that they didn't burn the house down. And so we just look at it differently. And of course, she's really nurturing and she's very kind and, and whatever. She, she does a great job like bringing them back in and pointing out all of the ways that, you know, they could have done better. And she's, you know, she doesn't freak out at them. But it's really funny. She's surprised for the opposite reasons that I'm surprised. We look at Jesus today and we see that he is surprised. Um, he marvels when he, when he sees this man's faith. He, he marvels at his faith. He's, he's amazed by his faith. He's surprised by this man's faith. That's an interesting thing. Showing us the humanity of Jesus Christ. It's a fascinating thing. The only other time Jesus is amazed in the Gospels um, is in um, Mark chapter six in the in the in, in Nazareth in his hometown when he's amazed at the people's lack of faith. So in one story Jesus is amazed at their lack of faith. The other story Jesus is amazed at how great his faith is. This guy's faith is. If if Jesus is going to be um, amazed, if we're going to be in one of these two groups of people, we want to be in the group that he's, he's amazed because faith is so good. He marvels because the faith is exactly what he's looking for. That's the kind of faith we want, right? Is that the kind of faith you want? The kind of faith that, that has Jesus saying, that's, that's what I'm looking for. That's what it's about right there. That's the kind of faith that we want. That's the kind of faith we want to be known for. The kind of faith that Jesus marvels at. Not the lack of faith that he marvels at, but the, the, the faith that he says, that's, that's what I'm looking for. So our sermon this morning is really simple, and, and it has the potential to be one of my shortest sermons ever. It probably won't be, but it has the potential to be a short sermon. Just two questions, two big questions um, today. Question number one, what kind of faith amazes Jesus? What kind of faith amazes Jesus? That's our first question we're going to look at. And then the second question we're going to try to answer from this passage is, how can we get that kind of faith? What kind of faith amazes Jesus, and how can we get that kind of faith? I believe that this passage answers both of those questions. That's what, that's what these verses are about this morning. So we're going to look at those both of those questions. The first question what kind of faith amazes Jesus? And there's a, there's a two-part answer here in our verses. If you look at verses 1 through 7, you're going to see that the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for, the kind of faith that amazes Jesus, is, is faith 
that sees our own unworthiness. Verses 1 through 7, is just, these are just fascinating verses to me. And, it, and it's always interesting to me what Scripture doesn't tell us. I have, I have many more questions about the centurion that aren't answered here, but Luke has given us enough to get the point that he's trying to make. And we look at these first seven verses. This centurion is impressive. He's impressive. He is successful. You don't get to be a centurion in the Roman army, which means basically you're, you're, um, you're the commander of a hundred, a uh, hundred man battalion. You don't get to be a centurion unless you're, you're, a, you're a good soldier, you're a good leader, you're an impressive guy. So the Roman Empire liked him. The Roman Empire thought highly of him. They elevated his status. But the Jews loved him as well, which was very strange back then. This would have been very unusual for these Jews to, to be pleading his case. These Jews to be, uh, um, to, to, to think this highly of him. Uh, then, then you see, of course, why, probably the main reason that these Jews thought so highly of him. Uh, we see it in verse 5. He loves our nation, they say about him. He is the one who built us our synagogue. And so now we get a, we get a sense of why these Jews loved this centurion so much. I mean, he, he's the one who shelled out for their synagogue. He probably financed the whole operation. They have a synagogue because of this man's generosity, and he loves the nation. So probably what's happening here is he's not, he hasn't converted to Judaism. He hasn't been circumcised. He hasn't, he hasn't, he's not officially part of their religion, but he probably is, is like a, what you would see in the New Testament, like a God-fearer. Someone who believed in the God of Israel. Um, not all the way in when it comes to the Jewish religion, but someone who, who recognizes or, or who um, at least appreciates the Jewish religion, the Jewish nation. So the Jews think very highly of him. And really, if you, if you think about him with me, I mean, he is a guy that we would be rooting for. He's, he's powerful. He's rich. Uh, but, but he's not a jerk. He's kind and generous. He cares deeply for his servant. This is his, this is a, a slave. Probably this centurion was not married. He probably didn't have any children. Most of the time centurions were not married because they would go all over the Roman Empire. Um, and so oftentimes they, they were, they were single. And so this is probably somebody he thinks of as family. I mean, we, um, you know, first century slavery is hard for us to, to get our minds around because of what we think of as slavery. But, and, and in a lot of ways it was, um, just as horrific then. But it was also a lot of times this, this house servant would have been like, it would have been like his son. It would have been like a, a, a son that, he, that, like the only family he had. And so we know, I mean, he could have been a jerk to his slaves, but he wasn't. Um, he was kind. And so, so he's, he's one of those guys that, yeah, we'd probably have some big disagreements with him on certain important issues in life. Um, but we can kind of see why the Jews are rooting for him. Why, when they, when they, when they say to Jesus, you should help him, he's worthy. He's worthy of your help. That's the, that's the whole thing. The Jews go to Jesus and they say, you should help this guy. He's one of the good ones. You should help this guy. He's one of the good ones. If any Gentile is worthy of your help, Jesus, this Gentile is worthy. And we kind of understand that when we look at him. He seems like a, he seems like a good guy. But when, so he, you know, so, so, so this centurion, he, he does, he sends for Jesus. But then Jesus starts to come to his house. And then the centurion's like, whoa, wait, wait a second, whoa. 
I, di- I guess I didn't, I didn't realize you were actually going to come. That's the, that's, the, that's the sense here. Once it kind of clicks with the centurion that Jesus, a Jew, is going to come to his house, which means Jesus is going to have, he's going to be like religiously defiled. If he even goes into a, if he goes into a Gentile's house, he's going to be like religiously unclean. He's going to have to go through all this like cleansing ceremony just to, just to be back. And it's going to take a while just to go back with his people and, and re-enter Jewish society. And so, um, the, the, the centurion says, no, 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 no. You don't need to do that. He says, I don't deserve that. I don't, I don't deserve that. That would be too much. I do not presume to come to you. I'm not worthy of you coming to my house, is what the centurion says. The, the Jews think of the centurion as worthy, but this man gets it in a way they don't. This man understands that he is completely unworthy. Jesus should not go to all of this trouble. This man sees what his Jewish friends don't see. This man sees his own unworthiness. He doesn't deserve the kindness of Jesus. That's the first part that we have to understand. The kind of faith that Jesus is looking for, the kind of faith Jesus delights in, is the kind of faith, first and foremost, that realizes, that recognizes our own unworthiness. And then the second part of the faith that amazes Jesus is, secondly, it's faith that sees the authority of Jesus. Faith that sees His authority. So we have to see not only our own unworthiness, we have to see the authority of Jesus. He says in verse 7, Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word. And let my servant be healed. You just have to say it, Jesus. You, you, we don't have to come in my house. You don't have to come any closer. You don't have to, you don't have to become unclean. You don't have to, you don't have to put yourself out for this. I don't, I don't deserve all of that. I don't, you don't, I'm not worthy of all that. Just where, where you are right, right here, just say the word. Just say the word. They, Cause it's one of those deals where you, you ask someone to come. And this man is just kind of desperate, so he asks Jesus to come. But then, once Jesus starts to come, then, then, then he, it kind of, it kind of, it kind of sinks in. Oh wait, he's he's actually going to come to the house. I, I don't need him to do that. I don't need him to do that. He doesn't have to be at the house. He doesn't have to defile himself. I don't. I'm not worthy of that. I don't need that. Let's just let's just have Jesus say the word from where he is. He sa- he says, for I too. And in verse 8, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, under me, and I say to one, go, and he, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. So, so what the centurion is saying is, is, is Jesus, you have just as much authority over sickness as I do over my soldiers. I tell them what to do, and they do it. I, they have to. I have the backing of the Roman Empire. If they're gonna, if they're gonna defy me, they're gonna defy the entire Roman Empire. I speak with authority. This man understands that, and he understands something about Jesus. He understands that Jesus speaks with authority over sickness. If Jesus says something to sickness, sickness has to obey. Sickness doesn't have a choice. Sickness cannot defy Jesus. When Jesus heard these things, verse 9, he marveled at him. He was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. 
And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Jesus did indeed just speak the word from miles away. And of course the servant was healed. Of course he was. That's the kind of authority Jesus has. Jesus says something and it happens. Jesus, Jesus upholds the world with the, with the word of his power. He holds the world together with the word of his power. He just has to speak the word. So that's the kind of faith that Jesus, yes, yes, I love that. That Jesus marvels at. That Jesus loves. That Jesus, that Jesus publicly honors. That's the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for. How do we, how do we get that faith? That's our second question. So it's, it's faith that sees our own unworthiness and it sees the authority of Jesus. That's the kind of faith that Jesus wants to see in us. How do we get that kind of faith? That's the second question for the sermon. How can we get that kind of faith? And this is just a one-part answer. It's simple. By seeing Jesus' compassion to us. By seeing Jesus' compassion to us. Let's look at verses 11 through 17 again. It's just a, just a heartbreaking story. Soon afterward, he went to a, called, a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the, the only son of his mother, and, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, listen to this, verse 13, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the beer. The beer is like this, um, almost like a stretcher. It's like a, it's like a, a, a thing that would hold the dead body that the pallbearers would carry. He had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the beer and the bearers stood still. And they stood still because you don't touch a dead body. You don't touch anything that's touching a dead body. You're just going to get, you don't walk up and do this. You're going to be unclean. It's much like going into a Gentile's house. You don't do this. You, you, you make yourself religiously, ceremonially unclean if you do this. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. Now they're saying this, they're saying a great prophet has arisen among us because Jesus is doing something that Elisha and Elijah did back in First and Second Kings. This is very much, if you, if you go back and you read Second Kings, this is very much the same um, language as when Elisha um, raised, God, God used Elisha to raise a young, um, a young boy uh, back from the dead. And, 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 and even the same language, he gave him back to his mother. That comes directly from um, the stories of Elisha. There's a lot of a lot of parallels between both of these stories and what we see in, in First and Second Kings. And so the people are saying, this is a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited His people. And the report about Him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. What we have to see here, if we're going to understand this story, is we have to see how devastating this is. 
I mean, if this is, so this is, this mom, and, and she is a widow, her husband has died, she has only this one son, and, and he is a man now, he's, he's a grown man, but he is her, he is her only son, and he has died, and so she is all alone. So this is devastating for any, like, this is devastating for any parent to go through this. This is, this is heartbreaking and devastating. Um, I mean, even if both parents are still alive, even if the, even if they have other children, like, it, to lose a child is devastating. Whether or not they're a widower, a widower. Whether or not this is their only child. But there is additional heartbreak for this woman. Because she is a widow. Because she, she doesn't have any other family. And now she is all alone. And then what this means for her, on top of all of her other sorrow, what this means for her is that she is now um, going to be a beggar. She's going to be dependent upon people's um, generosity now for the rest of her life. She has no way of, of generating income. She has no land rights. She is, she is now, she is now done. This is sorrow upon sorrow. And what you have, if you're going to understand this passage, here's what you have to understand. You have to get that she didn't even ask Jesus for help. She didn't even ask Jesus for help. He didn't wait for her to lift her head. He didn't wait for her to recognize him. He didn't wait for her to say some magic words. She was far too broken to say anything. Who knows if she even saw him there? But he sees her, and he looks upon her with compassion. He has compassion on her. Please listen carefully. Please listen carefully. This poor widow helps us to see ourselves clearly. This poor widow shows us who we are. We are, we are unworthy of Jesus' help. We are unable to offer anything in return. There's a, I mean, this is not... I mean, if, if this woman would have been watching some televangelist on, on TV and all you got to do is send in some seed money or whatever, they, they, whatever they're asking for, she would have been... It's, she, there's nothing. There's nothing she can offer anybody. She is, she is despondent. She is in despair. She is, it's hopeless. It's over. And she doesn't even have the wherewithal. She doesn't, even have the, she doesn't even have the strength to lift her head and cry out for help. This is who we are. If Jesus hadn't decided to get involved in our situation, we wouldn't even be able to cry out to Him. The reason we are saved today is because Jesus had compassion on us. He saw us and He had compassion upon us. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. We didn't pay for his ticket here. We didn't send up any requests. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. He saw our sin and our unworthiness. He died so that we could be forgiven. He opened those, or he opened our eyes through his spirit. He is the author of our faith. From start to finish, he is our savior. And why did he save us? Because of his compassion. 
We were like this poor woman. We were destitute. We were doomed. We were unable to even lift up our head. And Jesus had compassion upon us. And not only were we like this poor woman, we were just like her her son. We were dead. We were dead in our sins, Ephesians says. Dead! Unable to save ourselves. Unable to even want to. And Jesus saw us and had compassion on us. And He is able to do what no one else could do. If anybody else shows up to a funeral and says, stop crying to the mother, that's incredibly rude. That's incredibly insensitive. That would be a cruel thing to do. But Jesus... But Jesus says, don't cry anymore because he's about to take away her sorrow. He sees her, her great need, her great heartbreak, her great unworthiness, and he brings her son back to life. This is what Jesus does. He sees us and he has compassion. This right here, if by God's grace we can see this story we can, we can see the compassion of Jesus. If we can see that this morning, this will help us tremendously. Because do, do you belong to Jesus this morning? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Do you belong to Jesus? If not, then, then we, have, we have to talk. We have to talk about what it means to believe the Gospel. There's, no, there's nothing more important than that. You must believe the Gospel. Please do it right away. Please, please believe that you're a sinner. That, that, that Jesus alone can save you. And His death on the cross paid for your sins. And, and this is the way you escape hell and you are ushered into God's family and into eternal joy forever. This, you have to please believe the Gospel. And if you have then here's a wonderful thing to remind yourself. Every day. Every day. Every time, any time I've ever remembered this, it's always been good, and I always wish I would have remembered it more often. This is, this, you just remember this every day. Jesus sees you, and He has compassion on you. Jesus sees you, and He has compassion on you. And that includes this past week. This past week, you, 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 have, you have done things and said things and thought things that you would not want to come up here and discuss publicly with me. You have. You've had lustful thoughts. You've had bitter, bitter thoughts. You've had fearful thoughts. You've had sinful thoughts. This, this week, your mind and your heart and your actions have not been as crystal clean as you would like everyone to believe. Jesus sees you. He sees you as you actually are. He knows you far better than your spouse knows you. He knows you far better than your your best friends in the world know you. He knows you better than you know you. He knows you. He sees you as you actually are. You have been lonely this week. You have been afraid. You have said things behind people's back that you would never say to their face. You have worried far more than you have prayed. You have consulted social media way more than you've consulted your Bible. You've shown your children, your spouse, your loved ones impatience and inconsistency more than you've shown them what it looks like to live by the fruit of the Spirit. You are just like me. We are unworthy. And Jesus sees us. And here's the crazy thing. Here's, the, here's where it gets really interesting. Because the truth is that if you've been saved for any amount of time, if you've been saved for a few months or a few years or a few decades, you're actually better than you used to be. You're way better than you used to be. You're, you're, if you actually belong to Jesus, then you are truly being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You are growing in holiness. You are growing 
in godliness, in, in spiritual maturity. You, you behave yourself way better than you're used to. You submit to yourself to Jesus. You come to Him. You listen to His words. You do them way more than you did when you first started trusting Jesus. If you don't, then we need to talk about that as well. If that's, if you can't look back five years, if you've been saved for years and you can't look back and see that you're more mature than you were five years ago, then we need to talk. Because we all should be growing in grace. Getting better. Becoming more sanctified. But here's the thing about truly growing in grace. I'm almost done, I promise. Just listen, just, just track with me for a few more minutes. One of the big things about growing in grace and, and, and becoming more spiritually mature is that, is that not only do we, are, do we get better at fighting against sin and fighting against temptation, not only do we live more humble, godly lives, not only are we pushing away from the stuff that God hates and pursuing the stuff that He loves, so not only are we just getting better, like more spiritually mature, but another thing that is happening is that we are growing in our understanding of how wonderful God is. How holy God is. How worthy God is. You, you cannot be growing spiritually. I mean, you can be doing some behavior modification, but you cannot be growing spiritually unless you're also growing in your understanding of just how glorious God is and how holy He is and how gracious He is. And so what happens as we grow in that understanding, we also, we also grow in our sense of our own unworthiness. We may be getting better, but we also continue to understand <laughs> we don't want Jesus to give us what we deserve. I, I, I get what these Jews were trying to do when they went to Jesus and they said, they said, Jesus, help him out. He's one of us. He's a good one. He's a good guy. Give him what he deserves. I understand what they were trying to do. I don't want any of you praying that way about me. Nobody say to Jesus, Jesus, give Steve what he deserves. No. I won't be here next Sunday. I won't be. I'll be. Uh, I don't know. We don't even talk about that. It's not good, though. If you and I will sit and be quiet and, and think for a moment we, we, and, and be honest with ourselves, we don't want Jesus to give us what we deserve. We don't want Jesus to look at our past week and, 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 and be kind to us based on that. We want Jesus to show us compassion. We want him to know us inside and out and to love us anyway. We want Jesus' mercy and his compassion. We don't want what we deserve. We want compassion. Because we know if Jesus shows his compassion to us, that compassion comes with power. Jesus saves us completely, eternally, joyfully. He saves us. He sticks with us. He's always interceding for us. He's always sticking up for us. He's always shepherding us. He's always building his church and using us to do it. He's equipping us and, and he's guiding us and he's growing us. He is healing us when it suits Him. He is doing something better when it doesn't suit Him. He does all of this not because we're earning it or because we're so worthy. He does this out of compassion. And so, the last little thing I want to say. 
Doesn't this mindset, though, make us apathetic? Doesn't it make, doesn't it make us like, well, who cares if, if Jesus is just going to be compassion, compassionate with us? Who, who cares if we grow in godliness or not? If we're just, if we're always going to have this sense of our own unworthiness, then why even try? But that's not the logic of the Bible. God, Paul would say, God forbid. That's not the logic of the Bible. The logic of the Bible is this. If you see your own unworthiness, and this is, if you are apathetic today, if you are apathetic, if you're just not caring about the, about church, about the Bible, about living a life that honors God, if you're just like really struggling to care, then, then I want to ask you, are, are you willing to take a really good look at your own unworthiness? Well, if I do that, then I won't feel loved. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. If you're struggling with apathy, then you take a good look at your own unworthiness. And, and in that, if you belong to Jesus, in that you will see the compassion of Jesus and you will be astonished. This is the logic of the Bible. This is how we grow according to the New Testament. You see the, the grace of Jesus and you grow in astonishment. And the more that you're astonished by Jesus, the more you will grow in the faith that Jesus loves to see. The, the kind of faith that, that, that gives you the strength and the energy and the desire to fight against sin, to tell people about Him, to live for His glory, to, to line yourself up with the Word of God. The, the way forward, the kind of faith that we need to stay, to stay faithful to our families, to our church, to the Word of God, the kind of faith that we need, it doesn't come from, from thinking how great we are. It comes from understanding that we are unworthy. That we are completely at the mercy of Jesus. And that in His grace, He has compassion upon us. When we couldn't even lift our head, He had compassion upon us. And He is the founder, the author of our faith, and He is the finisher of our faith. He is going to get us home. This is what helps us to live for His glory. And one day, our supremely compassionate Savior, Jesus Christ, one day, he will, He's going to publicly honor our faith. One day, He's going to say to us, in front of everybody, He's going to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And if you think about that, that's just one more time where He is showing us compassion. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your love for us. We thank You for all the the ways that You've shown Your love to us through Jesus. And we get get lost in our own thoughts. We get lost in our own desires. We get lost in our own busy schedules. We get lost in all these weird little competitions trying to make sure that we prove ourselves and we measure up and we're better parents or better Christians or better this or better that or this is why we're smarter or wiser. We get lost in our own heads. I pray to God that You would help us to get back to, 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 the, to the very essential basics. That You would help me, God, to see I don't 
I don't deserve any of this. I'm not worthy of any of this. This is all because Jesus has had compassion upon me. I pray that you would astonish me with your grace. And that you would, you would build in me a desire and strength to honor you with the way I fight against sin, with the way I tell people about your, about your glorious gospel, the way I line myself up with your word. I pray, God, that you would, you would fill me with strength and desire, that you would help me to be astonished by Jesus. I pray that He would see my faith. Faith that's only there because of His compassion. He would see my faith and He would be happy with it. I pray that one day, by Your grace, You will say to us, well done, good and faithful servants. We pray this in your Son's mighty, authoritative name. Amen.